Alright students, welcome back. This is Homer's Iliad 2019, Lecture 23, Books 21 and 22, and as I said before lecture began, this will be the climax of Homer's Iliad. Alright, Book 21. And unfortunately I did skip Book 20. I would like to say one thing about Book 20. In Book 20 you do see Achilleus take the battlefield. In Book 20 you do see him kill a young man named Polydorus, whose name ironically means many gifts. Polydorus is the youngest son of Priam and Hecuba. And sadly, it says in Book 20 that he was actually so young that Priam didn't want him to go out onto the battlefield. And unfortunately, he's running around because he's very fast. Achilleus sees him, zooms in on him, throws his spear through the back of poor Polydorus, and uh, the spear's head comes out from his belly, his navel, and actually it eviscerates him. His... Um, his guts come out, his intestines come out, and he actually very sadly dies trying to put them back inside of his, his belly. But the reason I tell you that story, not just to tell you another grisly death in Homer, alongside all the heads getting cut off and the, <laughs> the tongues getting chopped out and people's livers exploding, but um, to tell you that Polydorus of the epic tradition is a character you'll see again. In the Aeneid, we will see Polydorus, and he will have been stabbed so many times that he turned into a bush. Um, I will probably turn to Ovid and show you Polydorus at another point, and then again in Dante in the Divine Comedy, he, uh, he gets mentioned. Um, in particular, his, his uh, uh, manner of death at becoming a bush in the Aeneid will be mentioned in Circle 7, Subcircle 2 amongst the suicides, uh, those people who themselves are reduced to their vegetative state into trees. And so I just mentioned Polydorus because uh, these epic writers, they compete with each other. Virgil competes with Homer, later Dante will compete with Virgil, and so they establish a connection between each other, often by not only touching on similar themes, but even using similar and the same characters. And so I just wanted to mention Polydorus very quick. So, book 21, Meet Lycaon and the Theomachi, we have another big time kill here. Well, first and foremost, what happens is the Aristea of Achilleus is what happens, and his Aristea will be far grander than any Aristea we have seen. We've seen two Croesus, Agamemnon's, we've seen Hector's, we've seen Patroclus's, and, and Patroclus's, he killed no fewer than 27 men, several waves of nine men at a time. Achilleus will fill a river with bodies. He is just as terrifying, he is just as deadly as a whirlwind, as a, uh, for us, as a forest fire. You might say he is a force of nature, and in fact, he is described like a force of nature, like fire, all-consuming, but also like a force of nature, very much inhuman, not showing pity. He burns everything in front of him, and that is exactly what he is doing here. And well, let's see some other inhuman things he does. One of the first things he does in Book 21 is he goes to capture in a river 12 young Trojan youths. Now, something you have not seen in the Iliad is human sacrifice. Because something not even done in 12th century Greece, uh, and especially not later on in 8th century Greece when this, is being, uh, when this is being sung for the first time and then later transcribed, is human sacrifice. You've seen sacrifice of, say, oxen. Uh, you've seen hecatombs. We've heard about... Um, uh, so a hecatomb is when a hundred animals, though by the time of Agamemnon it might have been reduced to as few as eight, uh, you slice their throats and then you cook them. And the idea is that the smell goes up to the gods because the gods are not made of matter and smell to the ancients was not made of matter because can you see a smell? Can you touch a smell? No, but you can smell a smell. It's a different way of doing it. So the gods get the smell. Mmm. 
but the humans get to actually eat the meat. Well, if you sacrifice a human, what do you do with the body? Well, exactly. Creepy. Cannibalized? That's considered a very sort of primitive, not civilized thing to do. Uh, you don't eat humans as a human in civilization. You especially don't eat humans that are like you and speak the same language as you. Uh, we don't even like the idea, I would say, of eating dogs and cats in America now, much less a person. So the fact that Achilleus cat catches 12 people and is going to sacrifice them, he's not going to eat them, just to let you know. But the fact that he will kill them in some odd sacrifice, it's sort of like a witchy ritual. Uh, funny that we should be around Halloween right now. But it, it's just not something that anybody would look at um, and think, that's a good idea, or that's a normal thing to do, or I'm happy to be on his side. I suppose you don't want to be on the other side, though. But I just want you to know how bizarre that is. All right, the next person he catches is somebody who he's like a nightmare to. His name is Lycaon. And Lycaon had actually just gotten back to the war 11 days ago. Well, you say, why was he gone? Matt, well, the reason is he was caught by Achilleus. When Achilleus was still fighting earlier on in the war, Achilleus then sold him for a ransom because he was rich. And then he's just been called back from slit. He's just been ransomed back by his family from the slavers who bought him from Achilleus and returned to Troy. And now, the first thing he sees when he comes back on the battlefield is the guy that sold him into slavery in the first place, Achilleus. And so it's like a terrible dream. And so what he tries to do when he sees Achilleus is he tries to run. But, as you know, Achilleus is called Achilleus of the Swift Feet for good reason. Achilleus tracks him down. He catches him. Lycaon begs for mercy, but just like Agamemnon earlier in the story, when he was feeling the pressure of his poor decisions, uh, Achilleus is... Now, in no mood to uh, take prisoners. Yes. Yes, go ahead. And so, when Lycaon is caught by Achilleus, he begs for mercy, but Achilleus, as I told you, is like a force of nature. He feels no pity. He gives no quarter. He grants no mercy. And so... Achilles ignores his plea, kills Lycaon, boasts over his body, dumps it into the river Scamandros, just for those of you answering questions here. Remember, Scamandros is what mortals call the river near Troy. Xanthos, shining, brilliant, golden, is what the uh, immortals call it. And remember, that is also the name of Achilles' horse. It is the name of multiple things, just sort of like there can be multiple people named Ted. All right, good, 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 good. All right, after Lycaon is dumped into the river, and he is one of many bodies that has now been dumped into the river, this angers the river god Xanthos. Uh, the river god has the same name as the river. Uh, they are essentially one and the same. Well, he gets angry, and he inspires a son of a different river. Uh, I believe it's the Satnios, named Astoropios to go fight against Achilleus. And something interesting about Astaropaios, we all know that Achilleus is nearly invulnerable. Invulnerable by some accounts, not by Homer's account. You'll see that that's true in just one slide. Astaropaios, though he should be scared, does have one thing going for him. Does have one little tricky thing he can do that most uh, warriors cannot do. He, rather than having a shield on his left arm, can wield two spears at once which is a deadly combination because if he can wield them at once, throw them 
at once, then he can throw spears that come from two different directions that makes it so that if you only have one shield and he throws it two different parts of your body, that where do you defend? Well, uh, you'll defend one spear, but the other spear will hit you, is the idea. And so he does have a gnarly little trick that makes him an effective little warrior. Now, he does throw both of his spears at Achilleus at once, and he does graze the arm of Achilleus. So he does produce blood. He does injure Achilleus. It's a tremendous accomplishment. It's something that actually uh, you never see happen to Aias the Greater. Aias the Greater never gets injured. Achilleus does. And so in that respect, I suppose you could say that Aias the Greater gets his cousin. Um, flawless victory as opposed to a flawed one. Though we'll see how both of them end soon enough next week. Next week I'm actually going to explain to you what happens to a lot of these characters who survived the Iliad. After the Iliad, none of them survive uh, their lives, you might say. In any case, after Achilleus is hit by this spear, he gives a little disquisition. He, he kills Astaropios, not that difficult, and then starts to, and I, I often quote this with the students, but I'm not going to quote it today mostly because we have to move fast, where he, he says, oh, you're the son of a river god? Well, I'm the son of a goddess. But on my other side, my father's side, he, Peleus, the son of Iacos, and Iacos is the son of Zeus. And Zeus, all rivers fear, including the great river Ocean. And so, I am, essentially, the scariest being on the planet, is what he's trying to say, because he, he uh, traces his line back to Zeus, says that Zeus is stronger than all other gods, so if somebody is derived from, if, if somebody is the son of a river god, therefore they should... Fear Achilleus because he is the son of a god that all rivers fear. Uh, which, I don't know why he's saying all of that. But it, I think the idea seems to be that he is going more and more out of his mind. He is less and less identifying as a human. Recall, he's associated with fire. He's mercilessly killing people. He's stopping up an entire river. He refuses to eat. He refuses to sleep. He refuses to feel human compassion. He is very much out of his... Uh, um, he is not the same person he was at the beginning of the Iliad, you might say. And his humanity and his connection to it is very thin at this moment. And as a very powerful and dangerous human, that makes him a very dangerous creature, as we can see. Alright, alright, and that was the point that I was making last, uh, just a moment ago. Astaropios is, of course, himself the son of a river god, and so when Achilles kills him, Scamandros uh, slash Xanthos is even more upset. Because this is the son of a river god. He is, of course, a river god himself. And, of course, uh, Aceropios' body will now be helping to dam up the river. And the idea of Scamandro Santos sending Aceropios against Achilles was that maybe he would stop that process. Process not stopped. Alright, so as Achilles continues to do what he's doing to the Xanthos Scamandros river, uh, and it starts to complain that it's choking on dead bodies, it actually directly addresses Achilles. The river god talks to Achilles and says, could you stop this please? Achilles actually agrees, and then continues to do it. Um, and so since he continues to do it, apparently Xanthos slash Commandros knows something about authority, and he decides to wield the stick. Creates a giant wave. A giant wave, like a tidal wave, that's supposed to go kill Achilles, and also clear itself of its bodies. Now this is a really interesting moment. Zacharias is running away from this wave and definitely cannot defeat the wave because how do you defeat a wave, especially if you're a surfer, you know that you never win against a wave. He actually imagines something in his head. We get some insight into his thought process and he thinks, oh man, I've done it now. 
I actually wish that I had died to some noble Trojan like Hector, because the worst way for an Achaean or a Trojan to die is at sea. Because that, if you die at sea, your body gets lost. And if your body's lost, you can never have a funeral. And if you never have a funeral, you can never become a hero. Heroes had specific cults where people would go. We still do similar things um, on, say, like Labor Day, where we put flags or, or uh, tokens on people's uh, grave sites to remember them and their great deeds. Well, that was a way to maintain your kleos beyond death for the Achaeans and the Trojans. And if you did not have a grave site and your body were not buried there, then you could you could not have those mementos. Your Cleos could not be maintained. And so Achilleus thinks I actually messed up so bad that I would have preferred to die to Hector, who I have a, a, a burning hate for because he killed my best friend uh, right now, which is uh, interesting. In any case, because he can't defeat the water, because he can't defeat a god, he prays to the gods, Oh, Hera. I wish somebody would help me out right now. And lucky for Achilleus, he is very beloved by the gods and also very much necessary for destroying Troy, which is what Hera wants done more than anything at this particular moment. As I said, he wishes that he had died in battle with Hector, not been drowned by a river, and he hears Poseidon reassure him. And Hera then assigns Hephaestus to fight the river with fire. Hephaestus is, like described by Mr. Mountshroud in the Halloween tree, an old forgotten god of fire. He was originally a god of fire. In fact, his name in the Roman mythology is Vulcan, where we get the word the volcano. volcano from, which shoots fire into the air. And the idea behind Mount Etna, where he uh, had his forge, is that it was a volcano. So when, like, you know, the volcano was erupting, that meant that who was working? Hephaestus. Very good. It's sort of like the old die idea that, uh, and this might even be an American, but probably a German folktale idea that when there's thunder, that's the gods bowling in the mountains. Bowling in the mountains. Very interesting idea. In any case, let's see the Theomachy. The Theomachy. You're like, what's that word mean? Theomachy. Well, Theos means God in Greek. And that's where we get the study of God called theology. Uh, you can study that at college if you want to. Machi uh, is, means battle or war. So this is the war of the gods, the battle of the gods. Students are often very interested in a war against the gods. And, well, this battle in particular, you might say, reflects the battle of the men down on the battlefield. Uh, that finally, with Achilleus released in the battlefield, the gods are re-released. Zeus says, you can go back down and you can help out and you can fight each other directly. So the first person to, or the first gods to fight are Xanthos, and Hephaestus. Hephaestus actually, so Hephaestus is a, an Olympian class god, whereas Scamandrus slash Xanthos is just a um, regional god, much weaker. In any case, what Hephaestus does is he lights trees on fire, throws them into Xanthos, and starts to evaporate Xanthos away, which is wonderful. Uh, he's so powerful that even though he has the wrong Pokemon type to attack Scamandrus, he does defeat him. That's sort of a funny joke. Water defeats fire in old Pokemon. Any of y'all know about that? All of you know about that? Yeah, in any case. Yes, so Hephaestus uh, starts to literally light Xanthos on fire and evaporate him away. He then calls out to Harry, says, I give up. I'm not going to fight anymore. Just have your son stop burning me alive. And so Xanthos, boom, lost, defeated. Now, we've known about the Greeks having two war gods for some time now. We know about the goddess of war strategy, wielding the terrible Aegis, 
named Athena, daughter of Zeus, parthogenetically. That means uh, through virgin birth. And like, like, like a character we'll see in the Western tradition next year. And um, also a god of battle and of storming strong walls, described as bloodstained, the, the violent war god, Ares. Well, Ares and his younger sister, Athena, finally fight. And when they fight, uh, Athena actually knocks him over nine acres. She knocks him to the ground. She knocks him out cold, one hit KO. And then, and this is sort of interesting, because even though in the Iliad, Hephaestus is married to a grace named Taurus. We will hear that he was once married to Aphrodite. That will be the case in the Odyssey. That will also be the case in the Aeneid. We will also hear that he was once cheated on when he was married to Aphrodite. Aphrodite cheats on whoever her husband is quite a bit. That's how Aeneas came around, by the way. And um, she's sort of like a, a female Zeus in that respect. But she cheated on Hephaestus with his very, very handsome brother and her brother named Ares, precisely because he was handsome. And actually, Hephaestus will say that during a story that's being told by Demodocus. Um, Demodocus? Yes. Or the singer of the Phaeacians in the Odyssey that we will soon hear. We'll actually hear that in the next few weeks. Um, and it's pretty sad because Hephaestus is the one who says, the only reason you cheated on me is because my brother was handsome and because I'm so ugly. And that always just makes me sad because it seems like something that's uh, possibly, possibly something very true is in that story and also very sad because of its truth. In any case, uh, Ares gets one for all the rest of us, you might say. He finally gets his. Athena knocks him down. He is defeated by a girl. He is defeated by a girl goddess. He, his soon-to-be lover, Aphrodite, tries to drag him off the battlefield. Tries to help him out. Well, no, no, no. Athena's got something for her, too. And decides to hit her. Actually hits her right on the bosom. Her students always laugh at that. They're like, ha, 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 ha. And she gets knocked back as well. Okay, well, Athena's doing pretty well today. All right. There are more gods, though. Poseidon now needs to get involved. And actually, he sort of gets involved in mental warfare, first and foremost. He doesn't just physically fight against Apollo. He is older than Apollo. He is the <coughs> uncle to Apollo. And he shared an interesting moment with Apollo. We all know, because this story has come up a couple times at this point, that Poseidon and Apollo were enslaved by Laomedon, the father of Priam, for a span of a year. And during that year, Poseidon was made to create the wall around Troy. That's why he gets so upset about the Achaeans making the wall around their camp, because he made a better wall that was sacrificed to. Uh, so that's the sort of thing that God cares about. And during that time, Apollo was actually a shepherd of the flocks of Troy. This seems to be a time of great industry for the Trojans, right before Priam's, uh, Priam's reign as king. In any case, <coughs> Poseidon says, why would you fight for the Trojans, Apollo, if it is the case that one of the Trojan kings, the one that came just before this one, Priam, actually enslaved you through trickery. doesn't make any sense for you to fight on their side. And apparently that gets to Apollo a little bit. Because he says, well, you know, I'm not going to fight this fight against um, my, my, you know, my father's, my father's brother, my uncle. They're, mortals are not worth it. And in fact, he repeats that great maxim that Glaucus gave us in book six about 
mortals being like leaves. Just like the leaves on a tree, so are the generations of men. He says, men come to be and they die. What's the point of we immortal gods fighting for them? And so he actually shoots off. Well, while he shoots off, you might recall that Apollo, who is the god of the sun and many other things, has a sister. The sister, you would imagine, is his twin sister, Artemis. She often represents or is represented by the moon. The power of the sun, the reflection of the moon. The gold of the sun, the silver of the moon. We'll see those symbols many, many times during the Inferno next year. In any case, his sister, and this strikes me as hitting close to home if any of you say have a sister, sees him run from Poseidon. And she becomes so upset with him. She starts screaming at him. She says, oh, Apollo, if it, the amount of times that we have sat at dinner and you have claimed that you could defeat Poseidon in battle and now you refuse even to fight him at all? No, absolutely not. Never claim again that you could defeat him. And so she's yelling at her brother. She's upset with him about what she perceives as sort of cowardice, even though obviously none of them can die. So how can they be cowards? How can they be heroes? In any case, Hera hears her doing this and very, very insultingly uh, grabs her hands, takes her bow out of her hand. Artemis, like Apollo, is a goddess of using uh, of the archery of archery. Uh, she she's a goddess of the hunt, whereas more Apollo is more traditional archery. Um, in any case. Uh, her, her bow is taken from her, her hands are held in one hand, and then Hera boxes her ears. To box someone's ears is when you basically hit them on top of the ear and create a small vacuum so, so that it, it just really stings. And, and could potentially, if somebody does it very hard, make your eardrum explode um, uh, through really crazy physics. In any case, it's like something you do to kids as an adult. It's a very insulting thing for Hera to do to Artemis. In any case, Artemis then runs off crying. <laughs> and she's a goddess of all things. She's a goddess of all things. Any, in any case, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Ah, yes. Now a very strange interaction. A god named Argafontes. You're like, who's Argafontes? I say, well, in Greek that means Argus killer. And you say, well, who killed Argus? And who is Argus? And I say, well, the god who killed Argus was named Hermes. The messenger god, though not the messenger god, in the Iliad, as you know, Iris generally takes messages for the gods in the Iliad. We'll see a lot more of Hermes in the Odyssey. In any case, he was once given the task by Zeus to go uh, break out one of his lovers who had been turned into a cow from captivity by Hera. Hera had set a giant next to this cow that never fell asleep because he had eyes all over his body. And his name was Argus. Argus the Watchful. Well, Hermes has a special wand that can raise the dead or kill people and also wake people up and put them to sleep. So Hermes went up behind this many-eyed monster, tapped him on the head with his wand, fell asleep, slit his throat, took the cow. Now he's called Argus Slayer, Argafontes, for all time. In any case, he's pretty gnarly dude, this Hermes. You probably, when you learn about uh, mythology, learn he's like a messenger and Zeus really likes him. He's very, very good at getting things he is not supposed to. In fact, if you ever read the Homeric hymn to Hermes, the very first day of his existence, he stole from his brother Apollo many cattle, and then lied about it, and then got off. And so he's, uh, he, he's incredible. And obviously he can kill people or monsters in the night. That said, he gets to fight against probably the weakest god represented here, Leto. 
Leto is called Latona in the Roman tradition, and she is the mother, by Zeus, of Artemis and Apollo. Well, Hermes shows that he's pretty smart. He's like, uh, I don't think I'm going to fight against you, Leto, because you were sort of a wife of Zeus, and I don't think it's necessarily the case that people who fight against former wives of Zeus do so well, because maybe Zeus has some residual feeling. Maybe he would take out some anger on Hermes. Hermes says, it just doesn't seem like that good of an idea. I don't see a lot of plus side. I do see a lot of downside. And also just something interesting about Apollo not fighting Poseidon is, do recall that it was told to Poseidon by Iris that when you fight a family member who is older than you are, it is the case that the Furies, who do attack people who injure or kill family members, will side with the elder. And so perhaps Apollo had that in his mind to some extent. Maybe Apollo and Hermes are very smart. Perhaps they are very smart precisely because they don't fight. Hmm. <clears throat> Alright, in any case, while the gods are fighting, remember that Achilles is still killing. The uh, wave that was trying to destroy him from Xanthos has been dealt with, evaporated away by Hephaestus. He continues to kill Priam sees that his son is not retreating, and this is a mistake. His men... The Trojans are dying. His pity overcomes him. He opens the gates. Trojans come in. They are all too willing to because it is insane out there right now with Achilles. And so as they lose, he orders the city open. And well, the thing about opening those city gates is Achilles is very much out there. And Achilles might decide to lead a contingent of Myrmidons into your city and kill you and all of you unless he gets distracted. And so Apollo just now having intelligently left fighting against Poseidon, takes the form of one of Antenor's young sons, Agenor, and runs away from Achilles. Achilles runs after him and wants to kill him. But Apollo is going to lead Achilles away from the gates so that Trojans can get into the city so that Achilles stops killing everybody. All right, well, that's very important. Now we have to move on to book 22. Get ready to be uh, interested, to maybe laugh a little, but then to be uh, definitely a little bit sad. Book 22. Hector remains outside the gates of Troy. He remains steadfast in the wake of knowing that Achilles is coming. Achilles is going to come soon after he discovers the fact that he has been following Apollo. He is going to turn around. He is going to be furious. He is going to be looking to take vengeance on somebody. The same person that he's looking to take vengeance on for Patroclus' death. And so, double vengeance will be his. While Hector stands outside the gates of Troy, he is implored by both Priam, his father, and his mother Hecuba to return inside the gates of Troy, come back into the gates of Troy. But Hector now seems to be bound by fate. We do know that he is literally bound by fate, from Zeus, recall, Sarpedon will fall to Patroclus, Patroclus will fall to Hector, Hector will fall to Achilles, and then Troy will fall. You might also understand this moment to be one where Hector understands that you just can't hide forever. He can continue to hide behind the walls. The Trojans can do that too, but at some point they are going to have to fight. At some point they are going to fall. This is the time he chooses to do that. And so he ignores their pleas. And uh, I usually read this bit, but it's just so embarrassing. 
Uh, you might remember that Hecuba actually does something that might be the most embarrassing thing a mom can possibly do to her child. Remember, she, she actually takes one of her breasts out of her dress and holds it in front of Hector. This is in public. and says, if I ever gave you nourishment from this, return inside. It's like the most motherly possible plea that a mother can make. She says, my mother's milk fed you. Don't die right in front of me. And Hector unfortunately has to say, sorry, mom, I'm now the champion of the city and the fighter. Um, uh, you are a good mom, but I, man's got to do what a man's got to do. In any case, he resolves to stand up against Achilles, even though clearly he will die. Um, all right. Now that's all very noble and brave. And we're all very impressed by Hector's fortitude. That said, when he actually sees Achilles, it's a very different moment. He sees Achilles, and he is gripped by fear. And in being gripped by fear, he actually runs away from him. Now, not inside of Troy, but around Troy. And actually, there's a beautiful simile that describes, just as in a dream, you cannot escape something that is running behind you, but ever it stays close on your heels. That's Hector. And then the simile shifts to Achilles' perspective, where it says, just as in a dream, you run, but can never catch the thing that you are following behind. And so, they stay at this stalemate. Achilles running, Hector running for three laps. But the same problem hits Hector as uh, for why he did not go behind uh, the Trojan Wall in the first place. Can you run forever? In this case, no. And nobody, literally speaking, can run forever. Um, we are all physical systems subject to entropy. I believe that's what people that run ultra marathons come to realize. Their body will eventually break down. In any case... Zeus, just as he considered with Sarpedon, considers saving Hector. But who would pop up and, of course, remind him that he had promised not to do that and that fate will not allow it? Of course, it is Hera. Or, excuse me, in this case, it actually happens to be Athena. And she actually convinces him to do opposite from what he expects. Rather than save Hector, she convinces him to allow her to help Achilles instead, which is quite the opposite. And I, it's, it's somewhat unclear that Achilles actually even needs his help, but, but Athena will help him in two ways. A, she will trick Hector into standing against Achilles by taking the form of his brother Deiphobos, making him think that he has reinforcements and access to a second spear to fight Achilles with. And then, after Achilles throws in misses with his spear, she will actually return it to him. And it's like, wow, everything is on uh, Achilles' side. Hector is totally super doomed. Um, he's about as doomed as any person has ever been in all of literature. Uh, yeah, well, Hector runs around the city three times, then finally decides to stand after Zeus, weighs the destinies of both men in scales. This is the second time we've seen this sort of thing happen. Apparently he's got these Libra scales in the sky. We'll actually see Libra scales in the sky during uh, Paradise Lost during the second semester next year. Um, a very similar image. A lot of similarities. Uh, John Milton did, took a lot consciously from the Iliad and the Odyssey, himself being also a competitive epic writer. In any case, Hector's weight in the scale is heavier. That means his death day is upon us. Athena, as I told you, then disguises herself as Hector's brother, Deiphobos. Something interesting about Deiphobos is that after Paris dies, he will be the man that is married to Helen. He will be the man married to Helen when the Achaeans sack Troy. He will be the man that gets punished by the Achaeans for stealing Helen, because Paris will be dead at that point. 
and he will be terribly disfigured for that. And we will see him in the underworld, in the Aeneid, looking terrible. Very, very, very terrible. He'll be missing the face, some ears, some other parts as well. Uh, they go mafia on him. In any case, Deiphobos, who is actually Athena in disguise, persuades Hector to stop running so that the two of them may face Achilles together. Boom! The base hits. Here it comes. Achilles versus Hector. And this image is, in a way, a lie. Because this image makes it look like this is one of those Hollywood fights that actually goes one way, then the other, and then you think the good guy's actually going to lose. You know, he gets kicked down, he gets knocked down, and then he maybe has some flashback to his reason for fighting in the first place. And it's like this one girl, or he was bullied as a kid, or he's got to save America, or whatever, and he's like, yeah, no, no, I've got the strength now, and he gets up, and all of a sudden the music, you know, starts to rise, like, boom. Oh, and he's fighting, and he's fighting, and then BAM! Gets a knockout blow. Oh, I win. This fight is nothing like that. Nothing like that at all. This fight is, uh, it'd be like, uh, I don't know, I don't even know how to make a comparison appropriate enough to us. It would be like a small little child fighting against uh, Mike Tyson. So I don't know if you know about Mike Tyson. He's like, you know, you know, the Simpsons make fun of Mike Tyson by having a character whose name I don't recall who has to fight Homer Simpson at one point, who's obviously not much of an athlete. And um, uh, he's like, well, I just, the saddest thing about having to fight this man is that his wife is going to die. And, uh, and, uh, she, and people say, oh, why, why, is, why are you sad about the fact that the wife is going to die after you fight against the husband? And he says, oh, well, no, no, sorry. He doesn't say he's sad the wife is going to die. He says, I'm, I'm very sad that I'm going to make orphans of these children. And uh, the... The, uh, the sportscaster in The Simpsons, making fun of a character based on Mike Tyson, says, Uh, you know that uh, the man you're going to fight has a wife. And he says, Oh, yes, I do know this, but after I kill him in the ring, I imagine she'll die of sadness. And so, I always think that's sort of funny. In any case, the idea is that that guy is much more of a match than Homer and will clearly kill him. Doesn't happen in The Simpsons. You can watch that episode. It's from one of the many seasons. I think they have over 30 at this point. This fight will be even more one-sided than that one. All right, so Hector stops and addresses Achilles, and we did this reading yesterday. You wrote about it yesterday. Uh, he tries to set terms. He says, please, if anything, Achilles, if you kill me or if I somehow, someway kill you, you can take my armor, but just let my body be taken back to Troy so that my parents can give me an appropriate burial. He begs for this. Achilles and again, another inhuman moment, utterly refuses this deal. Very famously comparing himself to a man and Hector to, li to a lion. Argue me no agreements. There can be no love between us as there is no love between man and lion, or wolves and lambs. In this case, he's the wolf and uh, Hector's the lamb. He's the man and Hector's the lion. He is the thing that kills the other thing. He is the predator. That is the prey. And uh, man is predator of, of lion in, in this case, just because a shepherd at this time would have had to fight off lions, supposedly. So even somebody like Paris would have had some experience against, you know, terrible beasts like lions. In any case, humans tend to win that battle. Um, so, Achilles refuses this deal. He will do whatever he wants to Hector's body should he kill him. So Hector better remember every valor now is explicitly what he says he attacks. So, Achilles throws his spear. He misses. But then Athena 
retrieves the spear for him, which I say unfairly and unnecessarily, and gives it back to him. Well, Hector throws his spear at Achilleus, but remember, oh my gosh, Achilleus' shield with the city at war, city of peace, the cosmos on the middle, and the ocean on the sides, some harvesting going on, some dancing, some gods on it. Well, it's a very powerful shield. Uh, it has something like seven folds in it, several of them metal, unlike any other shield that would have been uh, around at that time. Far more powerful, far more sturdy. Uh, Hector's spear literally bounces off it. In fact, I think it's described as only going through two of the seven folds. It is very ineffective. He stands zero chance. After he throws his spear, he then turns to his side, looking for Deiphobos, going to ask him for his spear. Give me a second chance. He turns to his side, and boom. No one is there. No one is there at all. He stood against Achilleus thinking that he had reinforcements. He stood against Achilleus thinking he was making an intelligent decision. Both of those statements have now been rendered untrue. No one is there next to him. This was not a good decision. Achilleus has his spear back. He will throw his spear through the throat of Hector, but without severing the windpipe so that Hector, like Sarpedon, like Patroclus, like so many heroes we have seen, has a chance to give a death speech before his death rattle. And so, he falls. Achilleus kills him, boasts aloud of his intention to mistreat Hector's body. Notice now that Hector is half red, half brown, sadly enough, because, well, uh, what's about to happen to him? And he says he will never, ever ransom Hector's body back to Priam. He will never ever be buried, even though he will bury the body of Patroclus. And so this is what Hector gets for standing against Patroclus. This is what Hector gets from taking Patroclus from Achilleus. And in fact, after he, he dies, and recall that he gets a small prophecy right before he dies. That's something that we read yesterday. The Achaeans also crowd around him and start to stab him. He's not as dangerous now. Time to stab him. It's like beating a dead horse. But they do it probably because many of their friends and possibly some of their relatives, brothers, uncles, fathers, have died to him because he is a great champion of Troy. Well, Achilleus then horrifically drags the body, I'll just finish saying this, back to his chariot, loops leather thongs through his ankles, and then drags the body back to his camp. And that is how book 22 horrifically ends.